Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name is Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. So I've brought you in. We've got a, a letter from a listener this week. So I thought I'd read that and we'll, we'll go. It's a really interesting topic. So it says, Dear Culture Bites, I'm a massive fan of your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and I have a curly question for you. Those are the kinds of questions we love. The big chestnut of trust. Our organization of approximately 800 employees has a very passive defensive culture and a recent staff survey demonstrated an alarming absence of trust. Some key themes include a feeling that decisions aren't transparent or fair, people wanting to maintain the status quo and not rock the boat, people feeling scared to ask for help, leaders being afraid to give honest feedback, and a disconnect between a leader's words and actions. How would you suggest our organization starts to build trust? Big topic, you know, trust is fundamental, isn't it? It is really fundamental, and I wonder, Dom, maybe we need to do a couple of more podcasts. So this is focused on organization. Mm. Maybe we'll do one developing trust in teams and developing trust in individuals. individuals. Yeah, Yeah. good, good call. It's massive, and I guess a good place to start is to think about how does that happen? How does Mm. it happen that an organization has a culture? Mm. How do we get there? Where trust was at best variable but low. And it leads to these sorts of outcomes. So I'd say that culture is something that develops over time, and particularly this organisation is an established organisation. And so it's been around for a long time. And so what happens with culture is something that happened a while ago, particularly if people have got long tenure, they remember. Okay, so often if something happened that where promises were broken, people felt betrayed, there was incongruence, so there were things that undertakings that were given that weren't followed through. These are the things that break trust where someone, or it might be that, you know, I promised to do something one way and I didn't do. So these are broken promises, betrayals, miscommunicated, misunderstood expectations, and they're quite serious, serious issues. Because at some level, whether it was meant to or not, people feel let down. Uh. And if that's showing up in a culture, it's usually because there might be a history of things Uh. that have happened where people feel that promises were broken to, they weren't listened to, Uh. they weren't taken on board, or or, their feedback wasn't taken on board. We go into a lot of organisations where people say, oh, people are survey fatigue. What I really think is interesting about that is often what that actually means is that nothing's ever happened with the yeah, surveys that have been completed. Yeah. And yep. so that, bang, that trust is gone. Why should I give you any more of my feedback? So I think the reason organisations end up this way is you've got a history mm. and the organisation's never really fully recovered mm. from it. On top of that, you might have leaders that are, because one of the things is afraid to speak up. Mm. So somewhere... Sometime people learnt that if they did speak up, there were negative repercussions for it. Somebody might have been sacked or they might have been embarrassed in a public forum. Mm -hmm. And so they learnt, okay, we're never going to do that. Now, it might have happened to one person, 
But 10 years ago. 10 years ago, everybody saw it. Yeah. Okay. And when you see something like that or when a story takes off like wildfire around a hurt like that, mm. we feel it as if it happened to us. Mm. And so it's something that gets embedded in our memory and we become primed. Mm. Okay. We start to become suspicious. And so what you need, how do you overcome that? You really need a very conscious decision by the leaders of the organization to build trust. Mm. Okay. So first of all, you need the will to mm. want to actually behave differently. Mm. And you need the will and the leader's commitment to make this a priority. The thing with leadership and culture, if a leader doesn't value rebuilding that trust, they're not going to adopt the behaviours or the practices or the processes that will help build that trust. Mm. Okay. And because it's an organisation, one aspect is how leaders show up in their relationship with their teams in their functions. And then the other aspects are the systems and processes and that you've got that are uh, possibly embedding a lack of trust. A lack of trust. Mm. So, for example, if you have a system of approvals in an organisation where 11 signatures are needed right. to sign off. We don't off, trust you to make a decision. We don't trust you. If you have a timesheet system, it's probably a controversial thing for me to say, but often if you are, you know, implementing this timesheet in very small time increments, and some organisations, professional service firms, you know, we're talking billable, so not so much talking, but sometimes the timesheets can be about accountability. Where are you? You know, so if you don't prove that you're spending time, then that can be a signal of not trusting either. Mm. I remember on that one, Rob Murray, who looked after Lion for a number of years. So in one of our conferences, I remember afterwards, you know, we were all talking and someone who was looked after a manufacturing site said, oh, but we have to have punch cards. Yeah, right? punch cards. Punch yeah. cards to get in and out. He's like, do you? Because I ran like, you know, this thing with thousands of employees was that bigger we didn't have them, right? We just trusted people to show up. Yeah. And they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think when you're thinking about the culture, you've got to think about leader behavior, mindset, and will to mm. build trust. Mm. And then you have to look at the structures, the decision making processes in place, and how they encourage or discourage trust building. Mm. You have to look at the systems and processes from performance management, setting goals. Uh, reward and recognition, you know, how people access training and development, you know, the feedback that people are able to give, the decision-making that I have. These are all systems that signal the degree to which an organisation trusts. Who's included in decision-making. Who's included making. and who's not included. In the letter from this listener, they talk about some which kind of hit right on on some of those points. So one of them is a feeling that decisions aren't transparent or fair. You know, so that's partly the communication, but maybe involvement and stuff as well. I think it's also, so I think, how do you build trust in an organisation? Yeah. I think you've got to look at the leadership behaviour. Let's plot out a few things. So leaders' behaviour and approaches, you need to look at systems and processes and you need to adopt. There are particular things I think that helps. Transparency is mm. one of the hallmarks of an organisation that's committed to building trust. Now. What does transparency mean? 
Does it mean that you share all of the information you have with all of the people all of the time? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that you are open to the degree that you're able to be open. I think when transparency becomes an issue is when the organization's behavior is not congruent. Mm. Okay. I've said one thing, but my experience of that is something completely different. Mm. Okay. The action does not reflect what you've told me. Mm. And so then I become suspicious about what the real agenda is. So transparent about what we're doing, why we're doing, why it has to be this is what people want to understand, how it's going to affect me. And then following through on Following on through. That. So transparency, consistency, congruence, uh-huh. following through. These are the things yeah. that actually are the hallmarks of building trust. The other thing I think too is curiosity. You know, if mm. I'm curious about you, then I'm going to want to know more about you. Transparency is I'm going to share everything that I can and I'm going to be curious about what you think about that. So there's a need exchange that happens and that's about, that's a way of building trust. Consistency. So whenever we go into organisations and we're doing, you know, an organisation wants to evolve or grow and wants to do culture work, sometimes we go in organisations where that sense of betrayal and hurt is Mm, there and mm. so there's low trust. One of the things that we do is provide a visual roadmap and we use it as a key communication tool. So Mm. every time it's up in front, we can tick something off. And that's a level of transparency. This is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. We're going to share this with you and you can hold us accountable. Mm. We said we'd do it. It's done. Yeah. Here's the evidence that we've done it. Yeah. So I think that transparency and accountability as by way of an example is how you do it. I think the consistency and the congruence. So if the organization goes out and say, these are our values. Mm, big one. <laughs> big one. And these are the behaviors that demonstrate our values. And then we have leaders who do not demonstrate, demonstrate that and aren't hold to account for it. That's another breach. Yeah. So if you're seeking to repair trust, then you need to develop some common ground around what the values are that are meaningful. We do a lot of crowdsourcing of Mm. values Mm. and then what does that look like when it's done well? And then you need to be seen as an organisation. Your leaders need to demonstrate that they're doing it and ask for feedback on how they're going. And if they're not, we need to talk about it. And if they're not, there needs to be a conversation around it. That includes the CEO. The CEO Mm. has to walk that talk and their leaders. And so if the CEO believes it, they will be asking their leaders. They'll be holding their leaders to account. What about, Corinne, in a situation where we've come up, we said we're going to do this thing and now, you know, it hasn't happened, you know, something came up. Who knows? You know, stuff doesn't always work to plan. What do you do in that situation? So we've promised one thing, but we can't deliver it Mm. for whatever reason. I think you need to say that. Yeah. This is what we wanted to do. We haven't been able to do it. And it's okay for leaders to say, we're disappointed too. You know, we weren't able to do it. This is the reason why. Mm. I think where leaders get into trouble is they feel bad about it. Yeah. And they don't take the action that they know they end up, they should take. Yeah. And so then they need to find a reason why it's your fault and why I didn't do it. Or, or we just hope everyone kind of forgot about that promise from yeah. a year ago. Yeah, and yeah. they never do. So I think you've just got to be 
honest. And what I would say is I know that there are times where I can't share everything I I have as a leader or, mm. you know, and part of that reason might be it's not my information to share, mm. okay? It might be that it's uncertain and I feel that it might, that the answers aren't there or it's not fully formed or there's some reason. There might be a legal reason why I can't share these things. So it's not about being exposed, you mm. know, and it's, and sometimes sharing information for people who lack the context, it actually increases insecurity. Mm. So, but it's more about being honest and truthful. What about, so a situation probably a lot of companies face recently is with this whole COVID thing, mm. you know, everyone would have been speculating like, is it going to leave job losses here? Mm. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty normal, pretty common across organizations. But obviously that's kind of information that, you know, you can't share until it's ready to share, if you know what I mean, like, because that could just increase anxiety. So what, how do you approach that kind of topic? Because yeah. it's, it's the elephant in the room. Everyone's thinking that the rumor mill's winding up into action if you don't say anything. So what do you do as a leader there? Yeah, and I think that's um, really difficult. I think all that you can do is in the communication that you have with people, that doesn't just happen overnight. Mm. Usually, you know, as a leader, you, you get a heads up that, you know, that the business isn't doing well. So it's about being honest about the indicators that you track, uh-huh. you know, and being honest with people that you may not know where things are headed. But, and so you're not sharing because there's, you know, and you're not sharing it. It's that, you know, you commit to actually being truthful with them, giving them as much information and lead time as possible. Uh-huh. So I think that. When you aren't able to share information and be completely transparent, you need to be as honest as you can about what you can share, Mm. you know. And I think people need notice. People need lead time so that they can mentally adjust. So then you've got to be honest about not the conclusion because really until that arrives, you You don't know. You don't know. You know, so it's it's not unfair to sort of, not share that because it may be one of the possibilities. It may not be the only one. Mm. But I think you can share what you're looking at and what you're using to track and help people understand how the organisation is tracking itself. So it shouldn't be a surprise, I guess. No, it shouldn't be a surprise. I think that that's somewhere where trust, you know, gets damaged is when it's a complete shock and surprise and somebody's Mm. completely blindsided, Mm. they shouldn't be blindsided by Mm. it. Sometimes you can't save people from the shock. It's never a pleasant thing to have to, you know, Mm. let somebody go or communicate a negative outcome or negative impact. But it's about doing what you can to make sure that they're not going to be completely blindsided by it. Mm. And what do you think, in in the letter, there was um, leaders are afraid of giving honest feedback. Mm. I mean, I wonder why, like, that could mean a couple of different things. Is it up or down, for starters? But if we just kind of make some assumptions on it, I wonder sometimes leaders let things build up Mm. to a certain point where now it's like a ton of bricks when in the annual, our one annual catch-up where I give you some real feedback, Mm. (laughs) you know, I've given it all to you. Again, shouldn't be a surprise. Mm. You know, it should be part of our conversations. If it's a cultural issue, I agree. If it's a cultural issue, then it goes back to what has been the repercussions of being honest mm. for anyone. And But what I would say about leaders is 
we need to ask more of our leaders, you know. Mm. So it can't be, yeah. a leader can't say they're afraid to give feedback, you know, like we really, because otherwise nothing changes. Mm. If a leader yeah. who has more autonomy yeah, than anyone, more access to resources than anyone is afraid to give feedback, then that's a really serious issue. And let's assume that it's because, you know, CEO, we have to look at what is driving that. Now, if there's a, a real issue in terms of punishment in the organisation, even for leaders, then we need to have to look at that. But sometimes leaders can say that because they're actually avoiding mm. the responsibility because mm. it's an unpleasant one. So it's actually having to work out, I guess, for the person who sent in the question, what do we think is driving this behaviour? What are the causes What's contributing to this felt sense of lack of trust? These are the symptoms. What are the causes that are driving it and how, how are we reinforcing it on a day-to-day level? And what strikes me as well, Corinne, is you're starting from a negative kind of bank account, <laughs> if you like. Trust yeah. is in the red. So how do you go about building it back the deposits, up? Yeah. yeah, how do you put the deposits in? Because it's almost... It's harder to start from a negative versus a kind of neutral, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I think that often when trust is damaged, you can't go back and Mm. undo that damage. Mm. So you've got to accept you are where you are. Mm. You can't expect people or, you know, to give you trust once it's kind of broken. Oh, that was in the past. Let's just clean slate it. It doesn't quite work like that. It's very difficult for people to, to do that. I think what you can do is rebuild it. So to your analogy, you know, they've had all these withdrawals and now they're overdrawn in terms of the trust bank account. And now it's about how do you deposit. So I think what you do do is you're really clear about your goals, the values, the behaviours that are important, and you demonstrate how you translate those values into day-to-day behaviours, into systems and processes that reflect those espoused values, you're consistent. You Mm. do what you say Mm. you're Mm. going to do. You have uh, systems and processes that involve people in setting their own Mm. goals, in providing feedback to their leader, in equitable access to development opportunities, Mm. in a transparent recruitment process where it's clear that there's objective criteria that's been set and that people have to demonstrate their ability to Mm. do that. So these are the ways that you actually build it. It's the essence of it is I'm going to say one thing and then I show you evidence. Yeah, that has happened. Ultimately, that's what builds trust is that you've done what you've said you're going to do and there's there's obvious evidence and clear indicators. And I think it's pointing them out as well. You know, we talk about cultures formed by the explicit and implicit Mm. messages that people get about how they're expected to behave. I'm always a fan of trying to make the implicit explicit as well by saying, you know, we've rejigged the hiring process, for instance, Yeah, like you're talking about, because we want to do this, you know, and like pointing it out so it's not just kind of left up to people to discover it. Because in a low trust organization, there's a narrative, there's a story you know, like the story of the yeah. person from 10 years ago yeah. that lives on. And so if you're going to change that, you have to kind of make it conscious, you know, you've got to make it obvious. So we talked a lot about the leaders and we talk about the leaders because they're in a position to actually 
behave differently, do something different, sort of change, initiate change to systems and processes. Let's not forget that the culture has everybody's fingerprints on it. Yeah. And so it's really asking people what responsibility they're prepared to take mm. to anybody everywhere. How are they contributing to a culture of distrust themselves? Mm. You know, and it might be the stories that I sure. tell you. So, yep. Dom, over the, you know, making coffee in the kitchen, you've told me that your manager wants to have a, a chat with you, a catch up. You're feeling pretty positive about it. And I say, oh, better be careful, Dom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you're feeling good about a, as far as we know, an honest attempt to want to have a conversation. And somebody comes, I come along and say, ah, oh, geez, that's a bit, it's a bit strange, isn't it? They don't normally want a conversation with you. So it's really important leaders have a specific and very clear response, a visible responsibility. Everyone has a responsibility. You need to look at how you contribute. Everybody contributes to this culture of distrust. What am I doing that reinforces it? Yeah. What can I do that might help build the deposits in the bank? I think that's such an important thing to say. And, you know, you see it so often, especially in an environment that maybe has low trust, the moan session, you know, the bitch session where we all go to the pub after work or, you know, whatever, the in-group, you know, or your group, and we, you know, trash leaders, we trash departments, whatever. Yeah. You know, what are you actually doing? Because it feels good in the moment. Yeah. And we all get along in the moment. Yeah, we're all in this together. We're trashing things. But what's the effect you're really having? Yeah. You know, and if you actually want stuff to improve, that's not the way to go about it. You know, and to your point earlier, it's like leaders have to step up and say things. So so do people, right? So let's address it rather than backdoor, backroom conversations, yep. you know, pub talk where we're airing the dirty laundry, but like, does that actually help us move forward? And, and, no, and I think it, it helps people get stuck. I think to be credible, people have to have the opportunity to say what hasn't worked and what's got in the way. Sure. But you want to live there, right? Yeah. Because if you live there, you just get, it can be an addiction mm. that you're stuck in a world where you want to complain about things that never went well. I think that in a, in a green culture in particular, people can get problem-centred and so they're very good at identifying at everything that doesn't work. Uh-huh. And you've got the twin thing of what will happen is a, a very strong identification of things that don't work and then waiting for somebody to fix it. Yeah. And so what is really important in that, that culture is to get people problem solving. So, you know, identify with five things that need to be addressed within each business unit and then Teach people how to problem solve because sometimes people forget how to problem solve. I know it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but in a passive culture, sometimes they've forgotten the ability they have to influence an well, outcome. I don't think they have the agency no. to do it. And if you actually took them through a problem solving circles exercise on a particular issue, mm. so for every idea or issue that was raised, problem solve it so that you involve people looking for the solution versus just leaving you mm. with, you know, the problem. I think that's a really good way of helping a passive culture move into a constructive solution-oriented culture and giving them some tools and skills for getting there. But also sort of saying, you know, there's that old saying of bring me a solution, don't just bring me a problem. I don't quite agree with it because I don't want people to feel like they can't raise things if, if they don't know what to do. But I do think that a positive thing that organisations can look at 
apart, you know, in addition to everything that we've talked about, it's a very practical thing, is teach people how to problem solve oh. some of the issues that are saying they're a problem. Problem solving at every level is one of the best things you can do as yeah. an organisation, I think. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's achievement through and through. And humanistic encouraging because you're doing it together. Yeah. So I think that's probably what I would say is the most effective, one of the strongest proactive, positive steps that you can take to build trust. And I think, you know, this is where the message comes in. You've got to do both hand in hand. Leaders need to do what they say and say what they do mm. because if you just go to problem solving, people hear, oh, well, you're trying to say it's up to, it's just us, right? And they've got no role in it. So we've got to do both. Yeah. Um, attack it from both ways. And I think too, like just one of the things I remember Organisations often want to gloss over the problem. Yeah. The most important step forward is to acknowledge that there is one. You know, and even if you, um, and I'm just thinking, you know, David LaRose at our IBM conference Conference. last year Mm -hmm. said the first thing we had to do was to acknowledge that there was a problem. And I think that it's very courageous of organisations to do it, but it's also very necessary. Yeah. Because you, can't move forward if the elephant is still in the room, yeah. an invisible elephant in the room. Like You've got to call it out. You've got to surface it. Mm. That's what trust is about, mm. is bringing things being to real. surface mm. and being real. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, people hope that if we just ignore it, <laughs> it'll go away, but we have, to, we have to talk about it. Beautiful. I hope those ideas and suggestions and thoughts helped our, our listener. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, let us know. So maybe, uh, you know, give it a go for a few months, try a few things and then let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear it. If you have a question um, or a situation that you'd like us to address on the podcast, you can send it in to podcast at human-synergistics.com.au and we'd love to answer it. So please send them through. We, we love getting them. Thanks for your time, Corinne. Thank you, Dom been great being here see you next time i hope you enjoyed that episode of culture bites just a reminder we've got our annual conference coming up for 2020 it's on the 25th to 27th of august there's a link in the description of this episode we hope to see you there thanks for listening to this episode of culture bites if you enjoy the show remember to subscribe on itunes stitcher soundcloud or wherever you get your podcasts also Leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.